Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 304. And I'm pretty excited about our guest here today. We're going to be talking about something we've never talked about. And quite honestly, I really don't know anything about. So I'm going to be going right along with you, the Perpetual Traffic listener, trying to figure out the the story behind the story, the tips, the tricks, all things relevant to something we've never discussed here on Perpetual Traffic, and that is smart shopping. And the results that this guy is bringing for his agency customers and for lots of different e-commerce businesses is nothing short of astounding. And I'm not just over-hyping it because in this show, I think you're going to be able to say, well, I've never done that before as an e-commerce store before, but I should be doing it. Or better yet, maybe I should hire this guy to do it for me. Really excited to have Kasim Aslan here on today's show. Welcome to Perpetual Traffic, buddy. Ralph, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, so you are the uh, the founder of Solutions 8 Agency. You've been doing that for quite some time. We were just commiserating before you hit the record button that we first started in SEO and gave up on that. Paid traffic is a hell of a lot easier than all that. Um, so good thing Amanda isn't on today's show. She's, she would try and defend the SEOs of the world. I then went into affiliate marketing because I didn't have any of my own products, and that's when I discovered paid ads. Um, but you really have been able to dial in this whole smart shopping thing from Google, which like I said, I don't really know all that much about it, but the, the results that you've been able to produce for your customers are pretty amazing. So tell us a little bit about it, maybe a little bit how you got started, why this is your specialty now, and and uh, give the PT listeners a little inside scoop. Sure. Honestly, we kind of forced gumped our way into it. It was, it was something of an accident. We had an e-com client that was really aggressive. And uh, this is right when smart shopping rolled out and any agency that's run smart shopping hates it. And you'll all, you hear people say like, oh, I've tried smart shopping. It didn't work. And that's because the way Google teaches you to run smart shopping is flawed, which I'll, I'll talk about in just a little bit, but their, their playbook is, is atrocious. Um, but we had this, we had this client that had all this money to burn. They were VC back and really reasonable expectations and just wanted to like see what was possible. You know, you, you kind of get their unicorns, but you get one of those gems every now and again, who's just like, yeah, throw money at it, figure it out, let's see what happens. But he was also very aggressive as far as like wanting to see, you know, new um, avenues. So he didn't want to just see how deep the well went. He wanted to see new acquisition strategies from the customers. And we're toying around with smart shopping and we had played with it a little bit in the past, but never to this degree. And again, through a couple of like accidents, we ended up backing into this just insanely high-performing campaign. A happy, we love happy accidents. <laughs> love happy accidents. So, and what was interesting is, you know, we thought it was kind of, he's in a consumables business. He has a really recognizable brand. You've probably heard about him. He's been on the radio. It's a, it's a, a male-specific hygiene product. 
And we thought like, okay, this probably just worked because it's, it's a very, um, you know, sociable, let's say uh, a shareable product, but we tried running it for a couple of the clients and, and slowly, but surely we built this template. And I, I showed Ralph, I showed a, a case study right before the call started the highest return I've seen yet. We have a client that just spent over the last 30 days, they spent $12,000. They made 1.4 million. Um, in excess of a 10,000% return on ad spend. Wait a second. Say that again. You said that so fast. People Sorry. aren't going to believe it. <laughs> they spent $12,000. Let me pull it up. I'll give you exact numbers. So last 30 days, uh, they spent $12,579. They mm. made $1,363,228.44. I think that's an interesting uh, statistic, I would suffice well, to say. Let me temper that a little bit just to say that that's not typical. Like 10,000% ROAS is, you know, that's insane. He's got a, a, an amazing business model, but I've seen consistently, you know, we've got, I don't know how many campaigns under our belt between our clients and our students, um, but anywhere from a 400% to, you know, three, four, 5,000% ROAS, depending on the business is not uncommon with smart shopping. Hmm. And you say Google teaches you how to do it in the incorrect way, which is probably the reason why everyone says, ah, I tried that before, doesn't work. A lot of people say that about Facebook ads too. Hey, you know, I tried my Google ads over on Facebook. That doesn't work either. Very different experience, obviously. So what did you guys figure out to be able to generate these types of returns, which are just off the charts insane? First and most importantly is you need conversions in the account before smart shopping can work. Smart shopping is machine learning. It's, it's algorithmic. And what Google is doing, it's, it's actually terrifying. Google has 70 million demographic and psychographic profiling factors on every human on the planet. To put that in perspective, and this isn't a knock against Facebook, it just helps with the comparison. Facebook has 55,000. So Facebook has a ton of data on people. Google has exponentially more. And it's because Google's ecosystem is larger. Google Analytics lives on 99% of all front-facing websites. So every website you visit, Google's tracking what you're doing. Um, Google knows things like what sicknesses you have, who's cheating on their spouse, where you like to go for fun. Um, it's, it's Android as an operating system. It's Gmail, the largest email provider. It's YouTube, the second largest search engine, the largest video host. Um, it's all Google apps. Google knows what my children look like. It's Google maps. Google knows how fast I drive, whether or not I speed. Uh, so, you know, people think like Google, oh, Google's a search engine. No, Google is the internet. You know, the Google Display Network reaches 90% of all internet users on the planet, 65% of whom are reached on a daily basis. So it knows practically everything about you. There's this really amazing case study that's worth Googling. It, this is in April 20th of 2015. Just Google the term, Google told me I'm pregnant. This was six years ago, almost exactly. Google told a woman she was pregnant before she knew based only on her search and communication patterns. So she's searching for stuff and, and talking in a certain way. And Google's like, oh, you're pregnant and starts advertising to her. And, and, and there's an article that talks about the case study. It's, it's, it's six years ago, though. So, Ralph, think about the speed at which machine learning moves. If Google could tell somebody who's pregnant six years ago, what do they know now? They know what you're going to buy, where you're going to go, what you're going to do. And because they're, they're, they're attracting all this data. And it's even, you know, people who say I've opted out. I, I just chuckle at that because you're like, even if you're not a Gmail user, you communicate with Gmail users. So they know what adjectives and what adverbs appeal to you. They know, you know, like they know roughly your level of education based off of like, you know, grammatical context and things like that. So they're, they're cataloging all this information on every human being on the planet. And then what they do is they look at your site and as conversions come in, and that's the key, as people begin to purchase, Google's like, oh, Ralph bought this. What does Ralph look like demographically and psychographically? How do you vote? What do you watch? What do you read? Who are you friends with? Where do you live? Socioeconomically, where do you stand? What are the things that happened to you yesterday? You know, did you have a kid that just had a birthday? Like really weird, obscure data, 70 million data points. And then it says, and this is the, the important part. And then it goes out and it looks to find more people like Ralph. Where Google is generally inbound, 
You know, like I want to buy this product and then you, they see your ad. Smart shopping has turned that around and they're now pushing products in front of people based off of who Google knows is going to buy. And it works. And what's awesome about it is it works in a silo. So where historically, if you're, if you're in, you know, Amazon search feed or Google shopping feed and somebody's searching for a product, you're showing up against 500 other competitors. And now it's a race to the bottom price wise. Smart shopping is great because you're, you're, you're approaching this prospect in, in, a, in a silo to where you're the only one that they see and you're getting hundreds of thousands of impressions. It's, it's a play by numbers game. And so the, the algorithmic approach of smart shopping is unparalleled. I've never seen anything like it. It's the closest thing to AI that I think humanic, humanity has publicly. Because this here's a machine that knows what you're going to buy and when you're going to buy it. Um, and that's more or less how, how did I do there, Ralph? Is everybody asleep now? No, I think they're probably just in awe because I don't think those statistics have actually been uttered on this show prior. So, I mean, 70 million data points. I mean, that unto itself. I mean, I don't know what characterizes as AI, but I got to figure that that's pretty much more than AI would need is my guess. If we're looking at 55,000 for, for Facebook or maybe somewhere in between there, but that's nothing short of amazing. And it's so integrated. Google is so integrated into all of our lives. Just like you said, even if you're not like everything I use is Google. I mean, I use all my Apple products, but all the, the apps that I use are all Google. So it's probably even more so with people that are completely immersed into Google as opposed to people that are maybe still on like, you know, Microsoft uh, Outlook and then over on Google oftentimes. But still, like they're able to track those people as well and understand exactly what those buying behaviors potentially are. And it seems like that's really the big difference here uh, uh, for smart shopping. T tell me this, though, like if people can't figure out like what exactly is smart shopping let's let's take it a step back what is it where do i see it is it that thing when i do the google search and it's the stuff below that is it like what is it tell our, our listeners all about you know where they would actually see it on the internet so you kind of hit you hit the nail on the head as far as why it's diff it's a difficult sale for me because it's it's a disembodied marketing mechanism mm -hmm. with most advertising products like google and facebook I can, I can answer that question directly. It's really easy. Like, oh, you, you know, for shopping, for standard shopping, if you go to Google and you search for a product, a bunch of products show up across in a carousel at the top and you can click on the shopping tab and there's Google shopping feed. That's shopping. Right. Smart shopping uses the entire Google ecosystem. So Gmail sponsored promotions, the Google display network, YouTube, uh, it, it, discovery ads, any, anything that, that Google has at its disposal, all, I mean, apps, um, what it's doing is it's it's pushing display ads and in some cases actually video ads in front of prospects in order to drive them back to an e-commerce event specifically. And it's using your entire product feed. So the more products you have in smart shopping, the better. And there's there are limitations and exceptions to that rule. But Google's not just cataloging you, the person, it's also cataloging all these products. And mm -hmm. so it's it, and it's working to kind of like match product to person in a in an algorithmic way. And so it's hard to say what smart shopping is because it's not any one thing. It's Google using all of its data and all of its, its conduits in order to push advertising in front of people that it, it believes have a stronger likelihood of buying and to push the, the right product in front of the right person at the right time. Mm. I, I hate to be offensive, Ralph. How did I do that? It was that more, I mean, I'm forest gumping around the question here a little bit. No, no, no. That's, that's exactly you know what we what we want to understand it's not a it's not a placement i guess is what we're really talking about here it's it's the ai and the algorithm working in different ways 
in and around the placements with you know, Google Shopping being one of them or a sort of a tentacle in the entire sort of ecosystem, but it's also display. Also display, also Google's, it's, it's, it's uh, Google has something called dynamic prospecting. So it's, it's the tip of the spear for Google's dynamic prospecting, which really means their ability to go out and find people based off of who they think is going to take a conversion action. And it's all intent. It's, it, well, I want to say it's intent-based, but I'm assuming there. Intent has something to do with it, but that intent is not necessarily because I did a Google search for baby carriages. It's, t- it's not explicit intent. It can be implied intent. Like if you get an, and I'm, I'm going to oversimplify it, okay? But let's say mm-hmm. that you get an email from a friend inviting you to his wedding. Now Google knows Ralph needs shoes, an airline ticket, uh, a rental. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden there's one little trigger and now it's like, okay, I know what it is that this person potentially, and, th- and, and take that and quantify it 70 million times across variables and axes that I'll never understand. The reason so many agencies don't like smart shopping is because you have to trust the machine. We lose so much control and all of your tricks, all the tools on my tool belt, we're a great Google ads agency. Everything that I know about managing all the other campaigns goes right out the window. Smart shopping has to be, just as an example, you have to run a smart shopping campaign for at least 45 days without touching it once. And in that 45 day period, it's bouncing off of the walls. We had one client that didn't have a single impression for two weeks and he called us on it. He knew enough to look at it and he's like, guys, what are you doing? And we're like, I'm so sorry. We can't touch this for 45 days. And so it's it's an interesting timeline because you have to have some conversions. So for a brand new uh, client, you have to run standard shopping or dynamic uh, search or whatever to, yeah. to generate some conversions to juice the algorithm. Then you run smart shopping against the same conversion actions. You let it go for 45 days. And in 45 days, the performance is abysmal. And But on day 46, now the machine is calibrated. It's like it's triangulated and then it goes, okay. And then from day 46 on, you begin to see that slow incremental improvement that we all want to see. So, so many people who run smart shopping have failed because A, they didn't have enough conversion events in the beginning. Google says you need at least 20. I've seen it work with less, but I've also seen it need more. So it really depends on the type of product you're selling. And I can talk a little bit more about my theories on why that is. But as soon as you have about 20 conversions, let's say all other things being equal, then you start smart shopping and then you let it run 45 days. And then on day 46, you start to optimize. And by now, most people have lost patience and they've jumped ship. And Google tells you to do a bunch of stupid crap. Like they tell you to start with the target ROAS figure, which means you want to tell Google, here's how much money I need to make. Well, if you start with target ROAS, you you basically put a ceiling on the machine and you don't let it learn. I I tell my clients, we're going to start with zero T ROAS. We're actually going to go out there and, and spend money, maybe, maybe inefficiently in the beginning, but it lets us calibrate the entire room. You know, so now I know what the ecosystem looks like. And so when I when I clamp a T ROAS on it, I know how much of the market I just shut myself off from and where the market is. So step by step, I'm new in Google. I've got my AdWords account. I'm an e-commerce store. All right. I've just set up uh, you know, ralphswatches.com and I'm very excited about my 10 SKUs. Do I need more than that or do I need hundreds? Like guide us through it for somebody who maybe is just starting out, how you would approach it, some of the check boxes that you need in order to kind of get to the point where you're letting the machine learning really, really work and day 46, which is amazing actually, uh, things start to kind of come together. Take, take us through that whole sort of step-by-step. Dude, you're asking all the right questions, by the way. Like this is, this is the, the way that the process needs to work. So I appreciate that from you. Thank you. Um, we do a viability study for all new clients. Some people aren't going to work for smart shopping. If you come to me and you're like, I'm drop shipping cell phone cases, there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing I can do for you. It's too low margin. You don't have the, 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 spend to be able to support a smart shopping campaign. If 300% return on ad spend doesn't break you even, won't work. 
If you don't reach that three, this is anecdotal. I have no way to prove this, but I've seen this over and over and over and over again. If you don't reach a 300% ROAS, Google actually will deprioritize your accounts and your campaigns. And I think it's because they're like, all right, they're obsessed with relevance, just like Facebook. They want people to trust their ads and trust their ecosystem. So if you're not selling enough, Google's not going to want to position your ads any longer. So if you if you can't be at least break even on 300% ROAS, not to say you won't get a higher ROAS. I have clients like I, I just showed you one that's in 10,000, but we start at 300% and optimize from there. So that's number one. Number two is be really careful. I love consumables. I love consumables because you're bringing the customer back. If you're selling watches, like you just said, people mm-hmm. are going to buy one watch and then maybe one for their brother-in-law in two years. And that is it. So not to say those businesses don't work because I have enough of those clients that have been successful, but it's a dogfight every day. So there are certain businesses that just have a better at bat than Google uh, or inside of smart shopping. And I also like more SKUs. Now I've made single SKU campaigns work before uh, and some of them really kind of weird and obscure, but it's a, it's a data play. The more SKUs you have, the more the the higher the likelihood that Google's able to find the matrix that it likes, you know, as far as the the people that are interested at what time and in what context. So now you can have too many SKUs because if you have, let's say at 50,000 SKUs, now you need to spend to support that because Google has to go learn all of those SKUs. So anything sub 50, I call that low SKU count. Anything over 50 tends to be healthy. Anything over a thousand, now I'm like, all right, we need to talk about your budget before I'm willing to, to invest in this. The average CPC inside of smart shopping is 56 cents. And that's not, that's not a global data point. That's across all the campaigns that we run. So you can begin to kind of back into, uh, you know, I, I've got a, an estimates and projections document actually that I share with clients. It's free online. Uh, you can find it on our YouTube channel, but you can start to back into your potential profitability based off of what you know about your onsite conversion rate. And one of the, a couple of pro tips here, just in getting in preparing for smart shopping, you have to use GTIN codes. And for those not listening, if you don't know what a GTIN code is, it's like, it's like a UPC code. It's a unique identifier for your product. If you have a manufacturer, they should be giving you the GTIN code. If you don't, you can go buy GTIN codes for your products. You need to buy a GTIN code for every single product variation. That's the academic approach. So if you have a t-shirt that has five sizes, you need five GTIN codes. Now, if you have 50,000 products and each one of them has five variations, you're not going to do that. Pick the variation that's the cheapest. But what's happening is Google is using the GTIN code to identify that product. So if you change the title, the description, the product elements, whatever, it still knows, oh, this is still the same product. Without the GTIN code, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. I've still seen smart shopping campaigns work. As a matter of fact, you might want to prove concept first before you go spend a bunch of money on GTIN codes. But in order for it to scale rapidly, you want to make sure you're using GTIN codes. And then the last thing I'll say as far as best practices is you need a very clean product feed. So we use Data Feed Watch. I'm not an affiliate. I am a partner. And you have to use lifestyle images because nobody wants to see an image of a product in display. They want to see people using that product. Statistically, the highest performing avatar across um, all industries is a 30-year-old female Caucasian brunette who's attractive and smiling. I don't know why that is. But for what, and I mean, I guess we're all like racist, sexist, and ageist, right? But that's the, that's what the world has decided appeals to people across, you know, cultures and, and ages and whatever. 30-year-old female Caucasian Burnett who's attractive and smiling. So if you don't know what to do, go find your friend who's the closest to that avatar and get her to, to wear or use your product and snap some pictures of her. And if it's a, you know, maybe it should be a family, maybe it's a, for a man, it should be a man, but you want lifestyle images because smart shopping is display-based and you're getting hundreds of thousands of impressions out of this. And if somebody sees a watch, that doesn't have the same dopamine hit as when they see a real life human being making eye contact. That's why when you go through a shopping mall, it's nothing but a bunch of placards of people making eye contact with you because there's, there's, I mean, real psychology there as far as the connection that you're making with people. And I know I keep saying the last thing I'll say, I'm sorry, Ralph, I get really excited. 
remember that you're getting hundreds of thousands of impressions. So smart shopping is one of the best brand builders I've ever seen. And it's, it's effectively free brand building. If you're profiting from the campaign, make sure that the images that you use are, are, are heavily branded. You want people to see your favicon, your logo, your icon, your URL, your product, you know, like the, whatever imagery or, or visuals you're using. And there are some, some organizations that are really good at this. You know, if you see a Pepsi commercial, you instantly know it's Pepsi. And you want to be able to do that for yourself too, because with hundreds of thousands of impressions, you don't want to miss out on that opportunity. So this is my job is just to summarize, because obviously you're so good at this and excited about it. And it's, it, this is pretty darn exciting. I mean, this is something like we've never talked about, like I said before in the intro, but so let me just go back through and summarize. So you should at least be getting, like if your business can't tolerate a 300% ROAS, like you don't have any business, like you have to take out the drop shippers, the resellers, probably the affiliates, I would guess. So the business type is really important just to start off with. Correct. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Second thing is consumables, but not necessarily consumables that are a one-time purchase or maybe a two-time purchase, you know, three years from now, but something where I'm buying it, or maybe it is a consumable good, I have to buy it over and over again, or maybe there's other products that are related to the first product that I buy, as long as it's greater than 50 SKUs in an ideal world. In an ideal world. And if it's not a consumable, just hire a ticket. We've got okay. a client who sells ophthalmic equipment. So like a $30,000 exam lane for an optometrist. And when we started running this, first of all, it took me years to convince her um, to even run online ads. And when we started running this, she goes, there's no way anybody's buying an exam lane online. I've sold two. What's interesting <laughs> about that though is we run smart shopping for her and uh, she's got 7,000 SKUs or something. So we'll sell like a lot of like, you know, light bulbs or replacement exams or whatever, but we run smart shopping for lead generation. So we run smart shopping, the optometrists land on the site, but they don't buy from the site, but they call her. And then I manually import those conversions back into Google ads in order to show the, the proper ROAS, um, which is tedious, 
But she has, and I have her on record saying we saved her business post COVID. She has one of the highest performing campaigns I've ever seen over the long term. And she's one of the smallest distributors in her space with one of the largest, she's the smallest in terms of personnel and one of the largest in terms of the actual business are doing because of our campaigns. So in her case, she's got over a thousand SKUs. One of the things you said when you're figuring out your selection criteria is that might be too many because you need expansive spend in order to get impressions for all those SKUs. Am I correct in assuming that? For her, we started with 400 SKUs, her highest margins, and then we expanded out. That's the other thing to do in in smart shopping is you can actually segment by margin. Google tells you not to run multiple smart shopping campaigns. They say run run smart shopping campaign with all your products. Uh, I have in the past told my students that's stupid, run a low, medium, high margin campaign. So one campaign for low, one campaign for medium, one campaign for high. So you can prioritize your spend for your high margin products. And it works. The problem is, and we only found this out recently, and Google makes none of this available, by the way. You have to figure it out by yourself. What sucks about running separate smart shopping campaigns is if people skip between products that are in separate campaigns, the remarketing stops because Google doesn't know, should I remarket you for for campaign bucket A or campaign bucket B? And in some instances, you actually kind of lose that prospect. So there's a risk there. So if you can, and if all other things are equal, run all your, your products into one campaign and just prioritize the high margin products. If you need to, you can separate and run multiple smart shopping campaigns, but realize that you have you lose some of that cross permeation, kind of the like it's it's good when when product interest gets incestuous and you're you're killing the ability for that to happen in, in multi-tiered campaigns, which we only found out recently. So anybody who's taken my education in the past, I'm so sorry I misled you. I didn't know until you know we we went and, and made this mistake. So it really seems like the next step to this whole thing is obviously having a GTIN codes. And if you don't know what those are, we'll leave links to the show notes for everything that we're talking about here. Um, a product feed and a catalog is obviously super important. So if you are one that actually has a thousand plus SKUs, you don't have to put them all out there. You can make a subset of that catalog for your highest margin, maybe best sellers potentially, just to start off with. That's correct. You can you can tell Google, I want these products and only these products. Shopify is the best integration of any e-commerce solution I've ever seen, but most product feeds work with a, with a little massaging. Setting up conversion tracking for e-commerce is a freaking nightmare. But interestingly, Google will do it for you for free. You can schedule time. And it's one of the very few times you can ever get Google on the phone. You can schedule time with, with Google's tag implementation team, and they'll help you set up your conversion tracking on your site. Interesting. And, and I, I got to tell you all, I'm an agency. I think very few people know what I know about Google ads. I use that service. I don't try to do it myself. Like this is one of those times where it's like, hang up the pride and just go get the people that know what they're doing because it can be, it can, and every website is different too. So it's not just about knowing Google ads. It's about knowing the, the site and the feed and connecting all those things. Um, pretty helpful to know that. I mean, obviously uh, it sounds like Google support has gotten a lot better through the, <laughs> through the years. It's gotten so much worse. It's getting, oh, it gets worse every day. It's just that one thing that they help with. Oh, yeah. that's good. Because they know that it's this is the long game and it's going to end up benefiting them in the end. I mean, they obviously, they put the resources in the places where they really understand where they can get the biggest return for their investment. Data Feed Watch is the service that you use for your your catalogs and your product feeds. And then the other part is just summarizing lifestyle images, display-based, super important, not necessarily the 30-year-old female is attractive and a brunette, but you know, along those lines, you know, when I was in affiliate marketing, there was one image of one woman that always worked. You probably saw it like for years and years and years, but it met that criteria and that's the reason why it worked. So talk to me about 
like how how you do it. Like, all right, so you get 20 conversions. The 20 conversions to start off with is, let's say it's not Ralph's watches. Maybe it's Ralph's jewelry and watches and male accoutrement. So I've got, you know, 500 SKUs here. So start off with pay-per-click, display, get your 20 conversions. Is there any time frame in which you need to get those 20 conversions? Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it just over six months? It's a, it's a good question. I haven't really tested that because for us, the clock isn't just ticking on smart shopping. It's also ticking on me as an agency. Okay. So we always get the 20 conversions within the first month, but that's because if we can't, you're going to fire me. You know, you don't want to pay my fee. I imagine the, the, the time can be elongated, but I've never dealt with it. I can also tell you that those conversions don't have to come from the Google ecosystem. If you're successfully running Facebook and Instagram, as long as you have Google conversion tracking in, in place, Google can watch those conversions. So if you have a, a, a site that's converting well organically from social, from other avenues, you can actually start running smart shopping right out of the gate and you don't need you know, any of the preface. The, the really important note there though, is you have to track conversions using Google ads conversion tracking not Google Analytics. So many Google ad integration tools, and, and Shopify is bad at this, by the way. It, actually, they just fixed it. But a lot of uh, integrations and, and a lot of thought leaders teach you to track conversions using Google Analytics, which means you're importing conversions from Google Analytics. And the problem with that is attribution. Analytics uses a different attribution model than Google ads. You want to track your conversions in analytics, but only to reconcile against. Your conversions have to be tracked inside of Google Ads or you're not going to get adequate data and you're not going to be able to use different attribution models, which ends up being really important for smart shopping. Because smart shopping, there's so many touch points that, you know, in the beginning, I tell people to use uh, time decay. But what's interesting is because smart shopping is acquisition based, where did the customer come from? Sometimes if you want a real big shot in the arm, you can switch over to first click. Over time, I like position based most. Let's give all the credit to the first click and the last click and then some along the way. Uh, that way, everything kind of gets touched. But you have to be using uh, Google Ads conversion tracking. And if that conversion tracking is in place and you know everything's structured properly, as you're getting conversions on your site, Google's able to see everything, um, not just conversions that are triggered by Google. Uh, and once that's the, the 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 case, then you can roll up your smart shopping campaign, run it for 45 days. Do not apply a target ROAS, regardless of what Google says. When you're in there and you don't apply a T ROAS, it actually shows an error message, and it tells you that you're doing things wrong. I don't care. They're they're incorrect, and I've seen this over and over and over again. Don't apply a T ROAS in the beginning and let it run for the 45 days, and realize that you just have to let it you have to let it go. And here's what sucks: sometimes you get to the end of 45 days and the campaign fails. And it's just like, gee golly, that stinks. And and normally it's, you know, you have a competitor that offers a better product for, you know, less money or is willing to spend way more than you or your site sucks or doesn't convert. Whatever the, the reason ends up being, I have had smart shopping campaigns fail. It happens. I manage that expectation heavily with my clients. You have to go in there knowing it's a test. Super important there. So... For those of you like the attribution question, we we blew through attribution there. We did a whole uh, we did a whole show on attribution. Where about half the show is on attribution. That's over uh, episode three hundred two. I'll leave you guys a link for that in the show notes. So I do my pay per click campaign, let's say in that case, and then where do I go to like inside the Google Ads ecosystem? How do you activate this thing? And and that's the first step. But then Secondly, based upon this 45-day window of the AI really trying to figure it all out, like how do you budget out? Is it based upon how many SKUs, past experience, like just a guess? Like is, how do you do that? And if things go south and don't really work on day 45 or 46 and you're like, 
how much money could people potentially be out in your experience and, and what's the likelihood of that happening? That's about seven questions all at once there. So I'm throwing it right back at you with all the information here, but uh, really interested to find out what your answers are. <laughs> A lot of it is an educated guess. I've gotten better at guessing as I've had more clients. I'm going to give you just some round numbers. For products that are unique, specific, little obscure, you can get this done with two grand a month and spend. That's the absolute lowest I've ever seen this really work. Now, can it get done for less? Yes. But remember, I'm also an agency. So I'm going to bring people on that give me a little bit of room for, for experimentation and growth. If you're doing this yourself, you, you might be able to run this for a grand a month. Who knows? I won't take a client if they're not willing to spend at least two grand a month. And, and even then, you have to bring me a product like I just bought this online, this little you can't see this if you're listening, but they're the little, what are these even called, Ralph? Do we know? Uh, finger strengthener thingies. Yeah. Little, so you squeeze it and it makes your fingers well stronger. Yeah. 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 And, and, and this is actually kind of like, it's not a cell phone case, right? This is right. unique, specific. And if we wanted to see if this would work now, I wouldn't go to market with just this. You'd have to have a whole suite of like, you know, fun little office, whatever's, but this is a specific product and it's not like the whole world wants it or needs it. And we can carve off a little niche. The more general your product is, the more budget you're going to need because Google isn't going to need to spend that, uh, spread that spend across people. I really like specific products that are high ticket, like ophthalmic equipment. And a couple of these case studies that I have in front of me, you'll notice a lot of them are really unique. Like the, the brand that I mentioned earlier, the, the men's hygiene product, there wasn't anything like it when he first came out. There's been some copycats. We had another client who had the, um, the silicon wedding rings for like, you know, cops and firefighters and CrossFitters. There've been a bunch of copycats then too, but I mean, he had an amazing return on ad spend for a long time because it was so unique. But we have a client, an online shoe retailer uh, at a 916% ROAS and they sell like Steve Madden and normal regular shoes. They have almost a thousand percent return on ad spend and they have physical locations that smart shopping helps feed. Food processing equipment, uh, which is the, like, this is for like industrial kitchens. If you need like a, you know, something to make your sausages or whatever, then they have a 3000% ROAS. We have a client that makes wallets, bags, and accessories out of recycled firefighting hoses. He's at a 1100% ROAS. He was on Shark Tank, by the way. We have a client who sells luggage. He has a 2800% ROAS and he, he refuses to let me run a brand campaign because he thinks he knows Google better than I do. So his ROAS is probably 6,000%. He just doesn't know it. So yeah, I, you know, it, 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 I, I, I'm not really answering your question. Two grand is the minimum. If you have a broader product, you're going to want to spend like three, four or five is healthy. But what's interesting is you don't want to overspend. I tend not to let people spend more than 10 because there's two different spend paradigms in Google ads. There's top down and bottom up. Top down says, I'm going to spend as much as I can carpet bomb the ecosystem and get as much data as I possibly can. Agencies like top down because it makes them look better. But what's the, the analogy I like to use is imagine a body of water, you know, one of the great lakes. and Top-down spend paradigm says I take a helicopter over to the center of the body of the water where it's deepest and I, I parachute in. So I'm on top, which is great, but I don't know how deep it is. I don't know how many competitors are in there. I don't know how tumultuous it is. I don't know where the, 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 the seabed is. With bottom-up spend paradigm, you start at the beachhead and you walk in. And what's cool about that is it takes longer, but now I know there's a substantive difference between like, you know, positions four versus three versus two versus one. Instead of just starting at one, I get to see where the performance is. I get to see where the competitive market is. I get to see how competitive my competitors are actually getting. If there's a big change in the ecosystem, I know how far back I can move and still be profitable. Mm -hmm. Um, So I prefer, and this, by the way, is not just smart shopping. This is, this is Google ads spend in general. I like bottom up spend paradigm. It takes longer. The agency doesn't look as good in the short term, but in the long term, I have way, I'm weaponized. You know, I can, I can slaughter an agency that went top down because they don't have any of the information that I have. 
So you want to start, you know, anywhere between that two and 10, depending on your product and, and your ecosystem and who you're going after. I recommend segmenting, even if you don't have a segmented product. So you might say, Hey, we sell internationally. I'm going to say, that's fine. Where's, where do you sell most? Like let's pick a country or a region or whatever, because if we can put a lid on it, that doesn't change the experiment. It just makes it a little bit easier to qualify and prove concept. The thing that you're running into with Google is they want to make sure that you're actually going to work too. So in a lot of this, we have to prove ourselves to Google in order to, to get the visibility that we want. That's, I can't prove that. That's just my feeling based on you know, all the campaigns that we've run. And when I say day 45, that's when the learning phase stops. Day 46 is when you start watching the data. So if you're not profitable day 46, that's okay. You, you might not necessarily need to be. This is really a 90-day commitment. Now, I've had clients. We had one client, a uh, specialty clothing retailer, weird clothes, Ralph, weird. Like when he came in, I was just in my mind, I was like, there's no way this ever works. But, you know, I, I've been wrong so many times. I don't make assumptions. He was a 1200% ROAS within two weeks. We weren't even out of learning phase. So I've seen things surprise me. And then I've seen clients that came in where I was like, oh, this is a home run. We're going to crush it. And we get to the end of 90 days and we just don't have the ROAS to support the campaign. So it's, you know, the first 90 days is a test and an experiment. You're spending anywhere between two and 10 grand. And then if you're, if you're working with an agency, their fee too. And, and if you're working with an agency that's not charging you enough, realize that, think about all the work I just said. What would you charge in order to be able to do that work? So be really careful with agencies. They're like, oh yeah, I'll run your ads for 500 bucks a month. Because what would, what can they do for that? They can't even pay for data feed watch. You know what I mean? What can they possibly do for that? So that's, that's the other thing that really pisses me off is I see so many people in this, not to slander our collective ecosystem, but you know, every, these ad managers go online, they take one course and then they start spending small businesses money. And it infuriates me. It infuriates because they're not just taking the money that they're charging you. They're taking the money that you're spending. They're mm-hmm. so much more dangerous than their fee. I'm so sorry. I soapboxed there, brother. I just got really, <laughs> really passionate about it. We deal with it every single day. In fact, we have an entire ad campaign, which talks about this in the Facebook side of the equation. Um, Cause uh, a lot has changed since 2012 when we first started this whole thing is basically the only Facebook and Instagram ad agency. And now there's thousands of them and there's lots of people that are, it is dangerous. And unfortunately that colors a lot of potential new customers because they've had bad experiences prior, which is unfortunate. So you do get what you pay for at the end of the day. However, with this, like this is, there is patience that is involved here. I mean, you might be able to get, you know, the thousand percent ROAS within the first two weeks because the learning is just so good of the product, but it is a bit of a crapshoot. I mean, it's, you can hit, check off all, all these boxes here. Obviously, you know, no amount of traffic in the world is going to cure a crappy offer. If you have a great offer, it's a great place to start just to begin with. And, you know, hiring an agency is just going to add fuel to the fire. It's going to throw gasoline on the flames for you because you've got something that the world wants. But, most businesses don't have that one thing that nobody else has. Most of them are sort of muddling around in a, you know, a reddish ocean where there is lots of competition, where it's a sophisticated market, and you're going to have to figure out a way as an ad agency to differentiate yourselves. So good offer, obviously something like this, that's universal in advertising, and it certainly helps. But when you were listing all the different customers that you've had and, and still do have with these amazing ROAS figures, it's not just consumer goods. It's B2B stuff as well, which is even more amazing. Ophthalmic equipment being sold through Google? Uh, I guess so. Never heard of that one. You know, that's outstanding. So there's there's a lot that's into this. I'm, from what I'm hearing from you, it's at least two grand to start. 
at least to get some data, ideally anywhere between two to 10 grand. Is that safe to say just as guideposts? Yeah. And, okay. and I wouldn't spend much more than 10 unless you have a product that justifies it. If the CPCs are insane, if it's super, super competitive, then you might need to. But that two to 10 is a, is a good window regardless of the size um, and the SKU count. We had a client, they're the largest lighting supply manufacturer on the planet. And their skew count was in the in the in the seven figures. Yeah, I, it was. I, I think it was in like the mid seven figures. It was huge. And we still narrowed down, and we just started with a smaller amount of skews and a smaller spend because we wanted to make sure that we were able to qualify before we like you know lifted the lid off of everything. Well, I mean, it's good business practice, especially if you are hiring an agency. Here we are talking agency to agency, but like we've had customers that come into us like, oh, I've got a thousand skews. Let's just sell them all. No. What's your best sellers? What's the ones that are the highest profit margin? And what are the ones that are the most unique in the market? Chances are, you know, if you have all three of those out of your thousand SKUs, it's probably good to start there, look into your Shopify store and force rank them and then figure out, all right, what are the financial metrics behind this? So I can potentially pay more to acquire a customer because I have more profitability on it. So, I mean, I think that's just a good business practice just in general when you're when you're talking to an agency because yeah there are other there are other fees you're paying for that expertise and let's not minimize that expertise like you charge for your services we charge for what we do we're pretty damn good at what we do but we're not the cheapest and i'm sure you're not the cheapest either and you do get what you pay for especially if you're using the right types of tools in order to make this whole thing work so like, what else can you tell us about this? Like, so 45 days, you keep mentioning 45 days. I'm like, is it, is that a guideline or is that something that you think of? Or is it like something happens magically on that day and everybody's just waiting? They mark their calendars and like, I can't wait to look at the Google ad account on day 46. Like what happens there in, in your estimation? Check this out. So I know our listeners can't see, but I just want you to see Ralph. Google's education says 45 days. 45 days, 45 days. You can see all these search results instead of, you know, the, 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 the training on smart shopping um, is it takes 45 days. This is funny. Here's one where they backed it down just a little bit, which is not uncommon for them to change their narrative, by the way, for whatever reason, it takes the machine 45 days to learn. Now I've had campaigns perform faster than that, but I have seen that 45 day period just kind of be the ubiquitous truth as well. So I, I manage the expectation with clients that it's 45 days. And if we qualify faster, I've underpromised and overdelivered, but just ex- go into it knowing that you're going to have to give it the 45 days. I think it's uh, managing expectations is always a challenge when you're doing any sort of agency work. But I mean, especially with that, like that's not an, from my perspective, that's a worthy investment just to see if it can work, especially if you're talking about like ROAS numbers that we're discussing here. I mean, you, I would imagine with some of your larger customers, once that day, you know, 45, 90 day sort of learning period is up, like you're pouring it on with lots of ad spend, or is this still the kind of thing where you don't necessarily need to be spending millions per month on this? You can still spend, you know, five, six figures and get a decent return, or does it just really depend on the individual business? We actually, we've run into this being a big problem. You can't scale faster than a rate at 10% of spend per day. And now what I just said is there's some wiggle room there, but we've had big clients that are like, oh yeah, go spend a million bucks. And we've said, no, we can't. And they're like, no, do it anyway. We actually had a client go in and make the campaign changes himself. And he, and his campaign went off the rails. And what sucks about it, and this is what they don't understand. And honestly, what I don't understand is I can't just reset it and it goes back to where it was. Right. 
like now we're, we're, we've zeroed us out and I've got to go relearn all these damn lessons. And I almost, part of me, the conspiracy theorist in me thinks Google penalizes us sometimes when we, we don't follow the rules, but smart shopping has to be scaled at an incremental rate. And I think the reason for that is because it's self-imposed inflation. You know, just like when the Fed prints a trillion dollars and, and all of our money just became worthless, including the trillion that they just printed, right? Mm-hmm. So like the trillion that they printed isn't worth a trillion dollars anymore. It's worth whatever a trillion dollars would be worth in this new ecosystem, which includes the money. It's this weird kind of inception level. That's maybe a bad analogy, but when you scale your smart shopping spend, and this is true for all paid advertising, smart shopping is just so much more expansive. You're influencing the ecosystem in its entirety as a whole. And so you need to see how that spend influences the ecosystem before you continue to scale your spend. As you increase your spend, your ROAS goes down which is natural. It's, it's law of supply and demand. So the more market you go and try to capture, the less efficient that campaign becomes. And we have clients that are at like a 4,000% ROAS that are profitable at 700%. And they've told us, spend as much as you can. And we watch, you know, 4,000 becomes 3,900, becomes 3,800, becomes whatever. And they're like, spend as much as you can until you get 700. And then, you know, and then they're still crushing life because, you know, they'd be profitable at 300, but 700 has been the baseline that they set. So scale and smart shopping is hard. The other thing that really sucks with smart shopping is every, if you get a competitor that enters the space, one of our clients is they do sporting equipment. They're one of the largest for a very specific sport. They're one of the largest uh, importers and distributors of this type of, and, and great big things too. Like I'm trying not to give away their identity, but it's not just like, you know, balls and stuff. It's, 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 you know, $15,000 devices that you would need. And what's interesting about them is they were crushing life. And then we got this competitor that came in out of China, really well-funded and they destroyed the ecosystem. They started spending more than conversions were worth. And it, I call it dumb money. It's the Walmart model. You know, you move right. into an area, you, you drop prices so low that the little mom and pops can't afford to compete. And even though you're losing money, you can, you can do that for three years. And then once mom and pops are all shut down, then you raise prices. Now we were able to navigate around it, but it, it ruined his campaigns. And so you'll see that happen if a big competitor enters in cyclical markets, you know, COVID had a lot of actually positive impacts, but also some negative impacts. So like the market can impact your campaigns. It's you're not marketing in a silo. And so you just have to watch it. What's interesting about smart shopping is there's not as much for us to do inside the individual campaigns. There's way more for us to do like, you know, feed management, optimization, managing the campaigns on the periphesis. What's really interesting too is with smart shopping, I tell all my clients go run Facebook ads. I have a client who's running Facebook ads at a loss. His Facebook ads, the ROAS on the Facebook ads, isn't wouldn't justify Facebook standalone. But the the conversion lift to smart shopping is three or four x his Facebook spend because for whatever reason Facebook's not able to necessarily track all the conversion events all the way through. A lot of that might be Facebook's narrowed attribution window. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Google, it sees the 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 prospects come in, sees the purchases, and then is able to to bring those into the remarketing feed of the smart shopping algo. So. There's, there's a lot you can do, but it is a, it is not a, a light engine to manage. Like you have to be behind it, watching it all the time. Hmm. So as far as campaign management goes, like after the 45 days, you can't touch it for 45 days, which for a lot of media buyers and a lot of customers is really challenging. And I'm speaking to you, tier 11 customers who go in there and do this sort of stuff. You can't touch it. Do you lock your ad accounts so you lock them out and they can't ever like get in and start messing around? Like we've thought about doing that many times, but anyway, now I'm just ranting. Um, so you, (laughs) you, you have to not touch it, but then after that you say, okay, I can't scale any more than 10% per day. So that is a touchy on the campaigns. What else are you doing inside the campaigns 
Or is it 90% feed management and 10% I'm just checking and I'm just raising budgets, you know, 10% per day? Like what's going on on the campaign management side? Feed management is huge. And optimizing your product feed is really important because Google's using the data. It's, it's actually a lot like SEO, talking about how we all came from SEO in the beginning. Um, the, the title, the description, the product information that you have, because Google's trying to figure out who's applicable to this product, the more robust your product description and titles, the better. Right. And, and if you don't know how to do this, go look at any Amazon product that's well-placed. Those people have cracked that freaking code, man. They're all amazing. And look at how robust their titles are. They're, I mean, Leo Tolstoy has written less in some, <laughs> you know, like it's just unbelievable how expensive they get, but it, it works. And, and it, we're going right back to like, you know, SEO circa 20. 11 when we all did keyword fluffing and it actually like, you know, produced some results. Um, but you're, you're, you're jam packing your titles with good value, your descriptions with, with, you know, really robust information. And then we're tweaking those. That's why GTIN is so important because when we make those tweaks, we want to make sure Google still knows what the product is. And then you're making it in app, you're making adjustments on bids, of course, but you can do that on a per product basis. So if I see products that aren't getting any purchases, you can turn those products off, but you have to be really careful. This is where sharp, smart shopping gets so exciting. I have products that have zero purchases for that product, but they have a four, five, 600% ROAS attributed to them. Because hmm. if somebody finds us through the product, doesn't buy that product, but buys a different one, Google attributes the, the, the conversion event to the product that they found us through. So you wanna make sure you don't turn off your acquisition products. And this happens a lot. The other thing I'll tell people is don't make assumptions about what products will sell. My client, the ophthalmic equipment client, she gave us three or 400 of her best products. She goes, these are the only products that are sell. When we finally open up her entire slate, which is sub 10,000, I think she's at 7,000 products. Not one of her 400 products was on her top sellers. Not one, not a single freaking one. That's now, great. some of the products that sell, she actually doesn't want to sell. She called us up. This is the funniest complaint I've ever gotten from a client. She's like, I'm so sick of shipping out this little onesie twosie stuff. Like she was mad at how much we were selling. And that's a big problem, by the way. I've had a couple clients. We had one recently, just a few days ago turn it off. They're like, we can't, we've, we've run out of silicone and that's what they needed in order to like, we're, we're not equipped to fulfill. Here's what sucks. That sounds like a really good problem to have. I'm not bragging. When you do that, you just kill the algo. When they try to turn it back on, we've got this whole ramp up period and we've got to go back and relearn. It's a pain. Make mm -hmm. sure you're in a position to where you can fulfill because, you know, turning it off and on is, is a pain in the hindquarters, but you, it's not, you know, like, and you want to be running other campaigns on the on the outside of it. So you want to run like dynamic search ads. Uh, Google tells you not to run dynamic remarketing because smart shopping is going to do the remarketing. What we tell people is to run a dynamic remarketing campaign. You're going to get zero impressions. But what's weird about it is running the dynamic remarketing campaign captures users better than smart shopping does. And then smart shopping takes those users and remarkets to them. But you can't like you have no control over uh, bids, placements and ads, very limited visibility. You can't control network placement or breakout. So I can't say I want to be here. I don't want to be there. You can't exclude specific networks, which really sucks for people who have sensitive products. Uh, we can't have negative keywords. Like uh, We can't make dynamic bid adjustments the way that we're used to. I'm trying to think about what else. <sighs> you're no longer driving a race car. You're now sailing a boat and you're making kind of like, you know, <laughs> as the tide goes, you're sort of making calibrated adjustments accordingly. Got it. Do you have your hand on the rudder or is it an ever so slight touch of the rudder? It seems it depends like. on the client. It depends on the client and the product, you know, every now and then you just can't let that damn thing go. Yeah. Restraint. It sounds like is one of the biggest challenges here to a certain degree. But oh, you also, can over optimize a campaign for sure. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. No, this has been uh, tremendous. Um, obviously, I mean, I, I feel like even though we've been talking about this for 40 or so minutes, like we've just only scratched the surface, which leads me to believe we've got to have you back on the show here because this has been a, really a lot of fun. Um, 
tell our listeners where they can find you, how they interact with you, if they want to hire you guys as an agency and what you got coming up. I, I know you got a promotion coming up in a week or so as well. Yeah. So we've got a free challenge. It's a three-day challenge. If you like what you've heard, we teach people how to do this. Um, it starts May 10th. It's, it's, it's specifically geared towards Shopify stores. But if you're not on Shopify, you'll still get value out of it. You'll just have to adjust some of the Shopify specific training to whatever CMS you're using. Um, but just go to 3xshopify.com. The number three, the letter X, shopify.com. It's a 3x Shopify challenge. It's completely free. We, we walk through click by click, point by point, exactly how we build smart shopping campaigns over the course of three days. So go to 3xshopify.com. If you're interested just in us as an agency, you go to sol8.com. That's S-O-L, the number eight. Check us out. I think we're one of the best Google ad agencies on the planet. And we'd love to, we'd love to work with you and help with you. Uh, you know, if there's, if we can't, I always, I pride myself on anybody who engages with this ends up being better off after the fact. So if I'm not the right resource for you, I'll try to point you in the right direction. Yeah. Much appreciated. And if they want to uh, interact with you personally, are you on all social medias, the Twitters, Facebook, all that? Or is it yeah. Hit me up way? on YouTube is the best place. I shoot one YouTube video a day. Wow. And so yeah, I mean, I, I try to drop as much value as I can. So awesome. just go to YouTube and search for Solutions Eight. You'll find me. LinkedIn is another good place, and I've got I'm I'm the only Casa Muslim I know, so I'll be easy to find. <laughs> it's a very distinctive name, yeah, for sure. And you're also a DM traffic coach too. So if you're a digital marketer person, you probably know, uh, you know what we're talking about here, at least to a certain degree, because you're doing that on a monthly basis. It sounds like. Yeah, I spoke on this topic at Traffic and Conversion. So if anybody was at TNC and you saw me, this is just all redundant redundant information for you. Killer. Well, there's a lot to digest here. We're going to leave a lot of uh, links in the show notes. And obviously, uh, check out 3xshopify.com for the challenge uh, starting May 10th for sure. Man, it was great having you on. Um, it was, I mean, you say pronounce... Cosm is awesome, but I think it really is awesome. I mean, it's <laughs> incredible. That, you know, the, the knowledge bombs that you've dropped here. And, and I think if you're an e-commerce store and you've been a little bit reluctant to bring this back into your paid ads armamentarium, uh, hopefully this uh, episode has helped you or, or helped you think otherwise. Or if that's the case, then hire these guys over at Solutions 8. For all the links and resources that we mentioned in today's show, head on over to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. This has been episode 304. Until next week, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. 